Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Okay, so this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot, talking to you under hopefully slightly better circumstances from our cruise ship cabin. Yes, we would like to be outside, but it is about 90 degrees out on our balcony, so... And very humid. So it's summer, summer, summer. But we are coming up to the Fiji... Or, as Australians say, Fiji. Fiji. <laughs> Islands. <laughs> oh, we have learned a lot since our last trip to Fiji, which was just a month ago when we were recording the podcast. And we, I am sincerely sorry for the podcast um, mishap with the buzz in the background. Hopefully that has been solved. Actually, the problem was that I had a defective card reader. And so I couldn't get the sound into the computer. But now, ladies and gentlemen, you're hearing us live on tape. Buzz. I always say that, but it's it, you're either live or you're on tape. And the, the Stephen Colbert show always says, here's Stephen Colbert live on tape. Well, he was live when they made it. I think that means that they just record it and run it straight through. And no, they don't. It, but that's not true either. And neither is it for us. No. So No. Now that we've taken That's care of the technical don'ts. It's because we love our listeners and they don't need to hear all the bloops and blops. Well, but they were very kind. Uh, I didn't really get any complaints. But in all honesty, I got a lot more emails, I guess, because of the bad sound. They felt bad and they wanted to send us an email. The buzz made you listen. <laughs> oh, no. We do not intend to have that happen again. And as I am truly sorry for the mistake. But we were, I was jet lagged and I just didn't feel. We were not at our best. But now we have been in this side of the world in the lower southern hemisphere on the other side. Now, this is going to be a very interesting podcast to post. Because we don't know when the 1st of May is. <laughs> it's our impression Literally. that we are going to live through two of them. Literally. We're on a ship. We're sailing from Sydney to Seattle, yeah. Washington, which is seven hours time difference and a day difference. So we're sailing across the Pacific Ocean, and we sail on May 1st across the International Dateline. To so, another May 1st. So the ship actually had big problems with this because they originally said to everybody that we were arriving in Seattle on May 15th when, in fact, we arrive on May 14th because we have two May 15ths. Uh, sorry, May 1sts. This is How very, can that be? This was very confusing to us when we, we scheduled our own flights for the beginning uh-huh. of this trip because we were meeting up with a group um, who also inscrutably published their itinerary day one, day two, day three, yeah. which Always works confusing. fine for them, but not for us when we're trying to figure out what date it really is there. So what also really helps... So, so when do I post this? On May 1st 1 or May 1st 2? When you're done with it. Ah, when I'm done with it. What helps me to think about this is on New Year's Eve... <laughs> You get up and you see the fireworks going off over Sydney Harbor and the Opera House and you know that 
the new year has already begun there. Yeah, but that's and because so of we the are international way, date line. We are way behind. But that doesn't help me with <laughs> posting the podcast. Well, I try to be regular. It helps me to think Who about gets it. it. Well, that's because everybody in the southern, well, in this, uh, on the other side of the date line, you always get it on the second day of the month. I guess. Well, well for them, it's going to be the second day of the and month. And we've also been confused because we've been in autumn, and now we are going to go home. And the sun has been in the north. <laughs> and it's going to be almost summer by the time we get home. And people are driving on the left. Oh, my. <laughs> we've had a lot of, a lot of interesting adventures. But I haven't had to drive. So I, I hope I don't get taken to the hospital where they always ask you at the beginning, what <laughs> day is it, what year is it, what month is it. I would be put in the loony bin for sure. Okay. So uh, last month we left you in Fiji uh, after having just left home. And now we are literally two weeks from home. And we will be back Returning to Fiji. Re- yeah, we are returning to Fiji, as Tomorrow. we just said, yes. So we've had a good time. We've uh, done an interesting itinerary with a group, and then we had a great time visiting listeners. <sighs> this is fabulous. Our listeners are something else. They're so good They to track us. us down. That's unbelievable. So we spent a, a long, long weekend with early Australian listeners who we are meeting for the Met for the third, third time. time, right? They tracked us down the last time we right. were in Australia, and that was our first meeting. And then Alan Sue came and visited us while we were in San Francisco, and we did a bit of touring there. And then, very unexpectedly, we had time to visit them at their house in Newcastle, Australia. Not only do we like them very much, but there's nothing better than being with a local tour guide who yeah, says to you, what would you like to see today? And we go, da, 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 and then they made it happen. Right. It was a wonderful visit, and we're so grateful for their time and attention and friendship. And this is the first time we've actually stayed with visit with listeners. With listeners. And while we, while we were at, at their home, we met another listener That's for right. lunch who joined us with Alan <laughs> Sue and caught up with his RVing adventures in Australia. He's much more of a free camper. Right. Which is Australian for boondocking. boondocking. And we're going to feature at the end of this podcast, We're going to fe- he gave us a CD of his original music. And so we're going to put a song on at the end with his uh, original music, which he has given us permission to use in the podcast. We would never, (laughs) ever lift without copyright approval. Really? Oh, (laughs) jeez. Well, didn't you create the music for the header and the footer in this podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Well, for that reason. So, well, we occasionally include little ditties from so those of you who are still listening to us in australia who we haven't <laughs> met yet uh we left, well, which we left some are. bumper stickers no. with alan sue <laughs> who are now our off-site australian <laughs> ambassadors <laughs> to the podcast so you can get in touch with them if you want. And I, I have to say, there were a couple of other uh, listeners who did contact us, but due to scheduling issues and distances it did, it just and that didn't sort of work stuff, Australia is really a big place that that we didn't get a chance to see. So thank you all for contacting us. It's been great. We visited listeners in Australia. We're sailing with 
listeners, listeners on the cruise here, and we're being met by listeners in Seattle. In Seattle, so this is uh, our new social life <laughs> is all our well, podcast listeners. I, I guess commercial free is uh, what this podcast is, but I guess the benefits are that we meet great people. That's no question. We have ten thousand listeners every. So month. we have a ways to go. <laughs> So, so feel free to contact us if we're in your neck of the woods. We'll we'll stop by, I guess, or stay at your house yeah. <laughs> for free. <laughs> but we are in concert with uh, Alan Sue uh, that who just bought and they bought a new motorhome, and we saw it parked on the driveway, and we did a drone selfie with them. And they took us for a it's ride. Be- it's beautiful. They took us to a campground, which had but some. But they sites. do drive on the wrong side. I mean, he that is a problem. Yeah, which had some sites that were long enough for our RV if we had booked two yeah, sites. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. So we and they took us to an RV dealer, which was fascinating to see the differences in RVs and how besides size, they had some that were nearly as big as ours, uh, but no new ones. They were all used. We, well, we were left it's with just the, not appropriate to have one our size. Yeah, we were left with here. the impression they just were not working out very well, and that's why they were traded in again. Yeah. So, so what would you say are the main differences between our RVs and theirs from what we saw? I was impressed with how modern they were on the inside. Very little wood looking. And very practical. Not a lot of carpeting. I thought the floor plans were very nice and open. I like kind of like having the bed in the middle. Which and, is nice. And some of ours, including the one we own, are highly decorated. And I mm. like the plain and simple. Well, this had the, the Ikea, European modern Ikea look, look right. um, that I liked very much. I did not like the fact that the RV sites in Australia, for the most part, do not have sewers. So uh-huh. the RVs came with what they call a cassette, cassette. Yeah. which is something that you have to pull out and haul to the bathroom by yourself to empty every so often. Because the climate there is considerably mild than ours going too extremely hot. We didn't see as many thermopane windows on right. rigs, although there were some. But theirs is air-conditioned as a, as a furnace, uh, a diesel heater. And the they all had these is- giant cow catchers on the front, <laughs> like, like you were going to run into a hippopotamus ru- or something. Ru- ru- catchers. <laughs> it seemed a bit much to me, this big, massive metal... That's an accessory. It's the style. I think they have a definite emphasis on fuel mileage because we found that diesel was about four fifty a gallon right now, and that's with petroleum at $75 a barrel, so it's probably going to go up from there. So they have to get good gas mileage. We've also made a pact, and we're going to rename our RV. <laughs> the MyPad? <laughs> We're both kind of Apple fanatics. Yeah, so we're this gonna, was Al's idea, not our idea. Give yes. credit where credit so is. So we're going to have MyPad Aussie and MyPad US. US. And we're going to make a sign, uh, which we will do soon, to rename the old RV. Our RV doesn't have a name. No. A lot of people do. We never did pe- that. Yeah, no, well, we have on the past, but I don't know. This one just didn't have a name. Did and we? I think MyPad would be cool. It is. Now, do Very I spell it? M-Y? It's M-I-P-A-D. I guess so. Otherwise, it would be M-Pad, <laughs> which would be kind of... That would be MyPad. M-Pad. It would be inscrutable without the I. M-I. Y would be okay, though. Y-Pad? No. <laughs> M-Y. Y-Pad. Y-I-Pad. <laughs> I think M-I-Pad would be appropriate. Okay, so it's M-I-Pad. So if you see us driving down the road, ladies and gentlemen, now... And if you're not sure, it's us. (laughs) 
Look for the MyPad. Look for the sign on the side. I don't know how much RVing we're going to talk about on this trip, but we have to talk about uh, our travels in Tasmania and Australia. Tasmania, of course, being an island off the south coast of Australia, which Which, means that it's much colder. Which I think of as the Alaska of Australia. That's kind of a nice idea. Even though um, it's nowhere near as cold. And, And it is part of Australia. We want to say it's not... Yeah, it's like a state. Yeah, you said you said it like it was a separate country, and no. it's not. Because it's a lot closer to Antarctica, the climate is very different from the rest of Australia, and green and lush. Um, but even there they worried about forest fires, which seems to be a constant mm-hmm. theme that people are concerned about um, in Australia. I would say Australia was immediately and consistently a very comfortable place to be. The Aussies talk funny sometimes, but their approach to life and their lifestyle is very much like ours. So if you are feeling like a 23-hour plane trip from wherever you are in the U.S., um, I think you would find Australia uh, very comfortable and very much to your liking. Good on you. Because um, Australia is a Wait, lot close to... Wait, going to let that pass? Yes, because Australia is a lot she closer... She has a train of thought, ladies and gentlemen. And, and it will not, not be derailed. Be derailed. <laughs> because Australia... I'm trying, to, I'm trying to speak Aussie. They know that. <laughs> because Australia is a lot closer to Asia than we are, I felt the Asian influence a lot more in terms of the people that we met and certainly in terms of the food. And there's a lot more fusion cooking between traditional Asian dishes and traditional British dishes, whatever that means. And so the food was, was fun and oh, yeah. slightly different from what we're used to at home, um, but very comfortable, very familiar. I was surprised at how much fries we had, even with ni- in nice restaurants. Which was interesting. And something else we wrestled with is it seemed like Australia was expensive. And we kept reminding ourselves that the Australian dollar is not as powerful as ours at the moment. That is strong. And that they don't put sales tax on the end of everything the way we do. And in many restaurants, except for fine dining restaurants, you don't need to tip because they are self-service. You take the menu and study what you want to eat. You go up to the counter and pay for it, and the price is the price, and then someone brings it to your table, and you don't have to leave a tip, which I kind of like. Yes, that's very definitely a good thing. But we spent now on the tour about three weeks, and we visited, uh, as I said, Tasmania. We visited Melbourne, Adelaide, Alice Springs, Cannes. Uluru. Uluru. Also known as Ayers Rock. And that was a three-week suitcase trip. Whirlwind. Whirlwind suitcase trip. It's worth it to go with a tour because you get to see all the sights, but, boy, living out of a suitcase is <laughs> tough after being in the motorhome, I'll tell you that. And we're used to a much more leisurely pace because as retired people in a motorhome, we can take our time and see a place thoroughly before we move on, and there just wasn't the luxury of time on this trip, which was frustrating sometimes. And I think we knew that. But because Australia is so large, we had four flights actually six because we had to go back and forth to Tasmania, but that wasn't part of the main trip. But we had four fairly long flights on Qantas 
And that was that was very interesting. I'll tell you, the internal flights, the domestic flights in Australia, are much more relaxed than they are. A lot less security. People could go. We never had to show a passport or any ID to get on an airplane. People could go past security to meet That's people, right. couldn't they? Yes, yeah. that, which was also quite amazing. Very nice. You didn't need a, a ticket to go through security. Reminded me of the good old days. Pretty much, although they did have security. You could take water on board um, in terms of going you through security. Three ounces of stuff in a Ziploc bag. (laughs) So I assume that they're international flights. We have only flown into Australia, not out of. But uh, the international flights are probably somewhat more controlled. But, boy, that was uh, a nice reminder of days gone by. But whenever we think about renting an RV and doing Australia well, that way, that's to. what you think about is the vast distances, which is why we had to keep flying from place to place. Australia is roughly the size of the continental U.S., but the middle is, for the most part, nowhere that you would want to be. Sounds like even the Northwest is really wild and woolly as well and dangerous to RV in. Australia is one of the most dangerous, dangerous countries, countries in the world. world. Now we're supposed to say, why? Our listeners are dying to know why. They have 19 of the 20 most venomous snakes. (laughs) They have saltwater and freshwater crocodiles that make our alligators look like puppy dogs. Um, We were always cautioned when we were using like an outhouse to check for poisonous spiders because they have a lot of those as well. Then they would console us by saying, well, these poisonous snakes have very short fangs, so they don't inject the venom into your bloodstream. They just inject it into your lymph. So you wrap the wound with an ace bandage and hightail it to a hospital and you have plenty of time to get the anti-venom and hardly anybody ever dies of those. (laughs) And what was the little animal that... The platypus. Was it uh, the other one? The echidna? Yeah. That wasn't poisonous, was it? What, what was the platypus? Oh, was the was platypus a, with, the, was the with the thorn in his... Yeah. That was the platypus. Has horrible venom. Which they don't know how to handle. And somebody had just gotten out of the hospital after spending 16 months in the hospital recovering from a platypus in- Sting. Inject- injection from his little... What was that? And then the other animal, Claw. the one that has the unique uh, venom that... That's the platypus. No, no. Yeah. That ha- yeah. Each one is unique and they can't... Yeah, they, they don't no, know yeah. what to do about it. Our oh. advice is not to travel to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and then when we were in Cairns, which is where you go to the Great Barrier Reef from, we were reminded, and this is true all over, not just there, that they have all these jellyfish problems and that they sting you all over. And there are a few netted off areas, but every so often a big wave comes and the jellyfish well, go into the netted off area. So th- when there we there are went, seasons for So when we went snorkeling, they gave us... Not wetsuits, but what would you call it? Neoprene suits that literally covered us from forehead to toe. Which we have great pictures of. They even had little (laughs) glove things you could wear over your hands to prevent you from the jellyfish sting. However. And we also should mention the sharks. We haven't said that either. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, put a quarter in her. She goes. Well, let, let's just say um, Australia is very interesting. Uh, the scenic beauty of Australia is not as striking as the 
Yes. Animal, as the yes, U.S. definitely, but as the animal life is. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that you're hearing is is that we're talking about animals that that you don't see any place else in the world. It didn't really dawn on me until this trip that any animal or plant that you see in Australia that yes. has not been imported is totally different and unrelated genetically and in terms of evolution from any plant in our part of the world. Um, certainly they've had many imports over the years, and we've brought their stuff like eucalyptus, eucalyptus trees over to our country. But they just totally went off on a different track right, right. for all the millennia and, and when like, they were not connected to the, the rest of us. We haven't seen platypus before and the other animals. Echidna. Echidna. I'd never seen one of those before. And, of course, kangaroos everywhere. And, and everything was a marsupial with yes, pouches. Which all is very animals. interesting, yeah. The Tasmanian and, and devils. They're, and they're everywhere. I mean, these, yeah, so. They just went off on a different that's track. That's why they have the bars in the front of their RVs. That's why they, they drive on the left. They're just totally in a different <laughs> lane than we are. <laughs> Okay. I think one of the things that everybody thinks about is Uluru. Which was astonishing to see, finally. But? Um, It was very crowded, which was tempered by the fact that Uluru is a very big rock, and there are many places you can go and still see it. But it was kind of congested, I thought. i got to say that, you know, Sedona, much of Utah... Is, is similarly, and certainly things like the Grand Canyon are certainly as spectacular. Well, and something and about... This is, it was such a monolith. I mean, it was just and, one thing. And just this huge thing rising out of the flatness. I think that's what makes it cool. Yeah, but so is it worth I, traveling 8,000 miles to see? I guess it was. I don't think so. I guess it was. Well, now that we've seen it, we can say... Mm. No, I'm glad I saw it. I always wanted to see and it. And the Great Barrier Reef? The other, the big thing that we did. We just finished snorkeling yesterday yeah. in New Caledonia, right? Or Vanuatu, um, which yeah. was equally nice. Yeah. I think what's spectacular Hawaii, about equally nice. the Great Barrier Caribbean, Reef, equally nice, is its size, um, which is probably better appreciated from the air looking down at that vast reef than from actually being in it. And to be fair, we went in the heavily touristed areas yes. where people stand on the coral, even though they tell you not yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you and could, we didn't snorkel. I mean, we snorkeled. We didn't dive. Scuba, yeah. And you could probably see a lot of cool stuff. Well, yeah, but as a novice, it's not. I don't recognize those things. I think colorful fish are colorful fish, no matter no matter where they are. So you're sorry you went? No, but and of course Sydney is definitely a world class city. Sydney is very photogenic, and. If you got to go one city, that's the place to go. Although I liked Melbourne, too. There was a lot to do there as well. Uh, not as much, though. You could mm. easily spend a week in Sydney. Easily. easily. And we have. And we have, yes, exactly, the last time. So that's why we had a little time to spend with Alan Sue as they took us up to their home, which was about uh, two and a half hours north of Sydney. I think it was kind of the, the locals' beach area, so it was kind of like going to Myrtle Beach or someplace like that. Or Door County in our area of the Yeah, country. so... It, they live in a really nice area with very scenic and uh, touristic and a fun place to be. So local tourism. And All we had great weather. some cruise ships are starting. Because it's just starting. <laughs> we were watching the leaves change color on the trees. which in is Tasmania. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and all over, frankly. They were getting yellow, and it'll be great to go back to spring where things are just beginning. Almost summer. And hopefully warm. We watched the Chicago weather. We were able to stream a few times and watch the Chicago weather where we had eight snowstorms in April. Yeah. Well, 
snows. Snows. Not storms. Well, eight snow events in yes. April, which yes. is for us. Last year they didn't have any, and this so year we So sorry we missed that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Something else that I want to mention. Do we get to ab- talk about technology sometime? No. Some, no. Something else I want to mention about our tour, which I liked very much, is that it gave us a chance to get some There's education no from other local speakers. Um, a big issue in Australia is the Aboriginal people and how they were treated by the English settlers and convicts that first came to Australia and said, hmm, this country is empty, let's own it, and didn't realize that there were <laughs> millions of people scattered hither and yon all over the country. It was sad to see, especially in Uluru, and Alice Springs in the middle of the country that they still are struggling with um, fitting into the rest of the country and maintaining their own identity. And another big problem that Australia has that we heard a speaker on was immigration. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, because Australia is close to Asia, um, many boat people have come over there from Vietnam on, probably before that. And Australia, like our country, wrestles with being hospitable and not being overwhelmed and how to best handle um, displaced people and either make them part of their your society or keep them safe and get them home again. And it was interesting to hear local people talk about these tricky details, which is something that you would never get if you went on a trip like this by yourself, because you could easily do Australia without a tour. Technology? SIM cards? <laughs> Finally! <laughs> it's my turn! I could talk about the SIM card. Okay. <laughs> Recently, when we have gone on international she trips... She really is going to do it. Where we were going, not even going to let me... Where we talk were about going, Recently, when we've gone on longer trips in other countries where we stayed in the same country for a while instead of moving from country to country, it's been so beneficial to buy a SIM card and put it in the phone and be able to make local phone calls and have access to some local data in case of emergencies or to make a reservation. And the SIM card we got in Australia this time even gave us free phone calls Back home. To the United States. Which was delightful. So for 60 Aussie dollars, which is about $52 US, I was able to get 10 gigabytes of data, which was nice for the month, uh, an adequate amount being that we had good Wi-Fi in most places, and we got unlimited calling, which is nice within the country, and the calling back to the US. So uh, I think SIM cards are really making it feasible for you to use your phone overseas. Don't bring Verizon or AT&T or one of those because for 60 bucks you could have a month and then, of course, th- that was a prepaid plan and you can renew it after 28 days or you know, Or top it off if we needed more data. But we, I only used about 8 gigabytes out of that. And that was mostly for doing things like navigation and for checking <laughs> the validity of what the guides were saying <laughs> on Google. <laughs> Because many of the hotels in many public places in Australia had fine Wi-Fi. And we also should give kudos to the Australian hotels because everywhere we stayed had laundry facilities readily available. There's nothing worse when you're on a suitcase trip. And that means washing machines. Than watching your clothes get dirtier and dirtier, not know quite what to do about it or not want to spend the time going to find a laundromat. I think that's common in the United States. Or in Europe. Well, definitely not Europe, but it, the, all, they I had self-service laundries almost everywhere. And we've As a had matter of fact, I think everywhere. We've well, had of them when we were we, kind of lucky in 
when we rented condos and apartments well, yeah. in other places, but not in a hotel. So that is something I would like to see become more universal. Having your phone available <laughs> has caused a couple of problems because the Wi-Fi uh, phone access. Are you referring to the <laughs> 2 and 3 a.m. phone calls? <laughs> We, we got get, awakened in the middle of the night because Martha's phone is ringing. Because it's on Wi-Fi and it's my doctor's office <laughs> reminding me that they would like to see me for my annual checkup. Boy. So when you're overseas, I would turn on the Wi-Fi cell phone or the Wi-Fi phone access during on, a the limit, day. on a limited basis. During the day and remember to turn it off at night. We have been but during the day, no one calls us here because they're all <laughs> sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Small problem. <laughs> so this is a conundrum. We don't want to get phone calls in the middle of the night. We have to be very cautious. On the ship, on the other hand, we paid for the, what they call it, surfing and streaming Why service, I? which costs about uh, $15 a day, and it has been... Not much for streaming, but more acceptable in terms of yeah. the other things. Considering that we like considering to do. that we are in the middle of nowhere, the ping times have been in the five hundred millisecond range, and the speed has been in the less than one megabit per second range. So it's not really streaming, and you're not going to watch Netflix. I must say that some of the hotels we stayed in had excellent Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And uh, we could easily stream, and but it's still a hell of a long way from home, so it didn't work that well. Everybody in Australia does do Netflix and the Amazon and all those thing, things that. Although they don't have Amazon Video now, no. which is very. I don't think Amazon's a big presence there. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. And of course, the ship very much would like us both to purchase these yes. streaming Wi-Fi plans, and we're not going to do that for fifteen dollars um, a in, day. In the past, we had to share with our six devices. The, only one device could be online at a time, but you can have multiple devices. So we constantly had to negotiate right. who, who had to logs get off. off Ken and, logs on. Martha and, logs off. Ken logs on. Ken gets on for five minutes and then Martha logs on. (laughs) But you solved that problem. Yes, because I get up in the middle of the night and do it myself. (laughs) (laughs) No, because you have the file hub. Yes. This is a cool little device which we have brought along, which um, Jeff, uh, our traveling companion, is using as a file server where he puts his files from his camera, which is a nice idea. But I'm using it more as a a device to split the internet into multiple connections so that once you log on with the Wi-Fi from the file hub and this is a brand name it's called file hub I'll try to put a link up to it but that may not happen I don't know anyway it's called a file hub you can probably find it on Amazon I think it was about 50 or 60 dollars it's battery operated and you log on to the ship's Wi-Fi with the file hub. and then it then takes the Wi-Fi and splits it on a second Wi-Fi network for your own personal devices so that it takes that one connection and acts as a splitter and so that multiple devices can log on to the Wi-Fi from the file hub. And I haven't noticed an, an appreciable difference whether we had one device on or three devices no, on. No, because it's unlikely that you would both be doing heavy-duty things at, at the same, the same time. time. yeah. So That's been nice to have. It's been very nice. And because it is also battery-operated, it means we can take it to other parts of the ship and use it any place. And we've been logged on with our phones and our iPads and computers and 
all of which we have along, which has made it through the 50-pound baggage limit. Although you did get nailed about your power strip when we got on board. <laughs> we had to go to the naughty room again. I think we talked about this a long time ago, but they don't like power strips on ships. They seem to think you'll plug in too many things and burn the ship down. That's but I complained and I said, my power strip has all my USB connectors on it. And so they gave it back to us. I mean, what power strip? What am I going to plug into it? They don't allow you irons. They don't allow you anything with heavy-duty heating. Heating, And w- the, the person ahead of us had an iron. They took they the could, iron away. They took the iron away. That yeah. I can understand. Yeah. But a power strip just in and of itself doesn't use any power. And, yes, you can plug a bunch of stuff into it. And, yes, we have. But it's all very low power. USB stuff. Charging all of yeah, our electronic char- toys. Charging our computer. As I mentioned earlier, I did bring my drone and we've had a pretty good time with it, although I haven't been able to use it nearly as much as I wanted to. We've spent a lot of time in big cities in Australia, yeah. and you don't want to fly in a big city well, unless I, maybe I, you're in your own yard. Well, I think if I got up really early and did it, I could probably do it in some places in parks and things, but I just didn't want to chance it. But we've taken some really cool selfies. One of the features of the drone that we have is, is that it shoots a selfie, which means that it starts uh, close to you, faces you, and it starts about eight feet off the ground. And then you say, shoot, and it starts the video, and it goes up and away and shoots you and your background. Now, this was cool because we were able to make uh, two selfies with our group. So we're all waving and being crazy, and the, the drone shoots about uh, 20 seconds worth of video as it goes up and away. And, you, and if you're in a scenic spot, whoa, it uh, really looks good. And again, even with the 50-pound limit that we have in our luggage, this is so small and light that it's yeah, worth it. It's worth it, I think, yeah. I would definitely bring it again, and hopefully we'll get a chance to use it again. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. And your underwater photography oh, has yeah. also improved drastically because you now bring with you an external light. light. Flash on underwater photography doesn't work too well because you get the particles in the water, which are closer to the camera, and they're illuminated by the flash, and they looks bad. It looks like the water's dirty. And then by the time the light gets to the object, it's dissipated. Diffuse. So I bought a incandescent light. <laughs> Which sounds big and heavy, but it's actually very light. It weighs much less than the camera. No, no, it's not nearly that big. Really? It's small. It's like two inches square. And it's a very powerful little light and battery operated and cool that it's waterproof. So I just hold that in one hand and my camera in the other and I put the light as close to the subject as I can get it and I put it off axis so that particles in the water don't uh, reflect the light. It has helped dramatically in getting better quality underwater pictures. I'm using the new Olympus TG5 which is a great little underwater camera and you know no housing or anything with these cameras so you can really uh, it's it's actually usable rather than having to view the viewfinder. So you should put a few of your pictures on the show page. I probably will. Good. And so that everybody will get a chance to see what a great photographer I am. <laughs> and now you're going to be a great photographer. Oh, anyway. <laughs> Never buy 
a new camera that's drastically different from your old camera in the middle of your trip. Well, let's preface that. We were looking at new cameras before, before we, we left. left. And, and I'm always uh, <clears throat> wanting the latest and the greatest. And, of course, I want the latest and the greatest for my wife, even though she doesn't really care. But I said, oh, there's this nice new um, Panasonic uh, Lumix that's coming out. And... We looked at the earlier model, and it was the right size, and the new one has fabulous new features and is a very nice camera. And the thing that she was dissatisfied before was with the small sensor. My pictures didn't look as sharp as yours. That's what it said to me. Bottom line. And you don't have the low-light sensitivity. So I was looking to make sure that she got a one-inch sensor, which is the one that I use. I think that's kind of a sweet spot these days. I'm thinking a lot of people are 20th century photographers. You know, lugging around these huge SLRs. And when you're doing that, uh, you always have to worry about lenses. And and frankly, the APS-C sensor is, doesn't give you that much better quality. Um, yes, a little bit of low light but sensitivity is there, but it really is kind of passe these days. Uh, the sales of SLRs are going down dramatically. But these new compact cameras are really nice. And how long is your lens? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's a 360. But I would say that our friend Al, who's a real fan of taking pictures with his um, cell phone, gave me a chance to compare my pictures to his in terms of quality a few times where we were in the same place. And there definitely is a difference. Cell Cell phones are very convenient. Snapshots. And you always have them with you. Um, but when you care about the end result, I still would oh, like to have a camera. And, and, and there's no comparison in terms of lens quality or the, the zoom lens and the sensitivity. There are all sorts of features that a camera actually has that a cell phone doesn't. But what I was going to say is that we were shopping around for this camera. We couldn't buy it at home. at home because it wasn't going to be available until April 1st. So we thought, well, we'll look in Sydney when we get there. We looked in Sydney when we got there and... They didn't have them yet, but so they did the, tell us what it would cost if they did have it. So we they were they said it was about to come out, and they were about. So to we get filed it. that figure away in our minds, and <laughs> then we were in Adelaide in a fruit and vegetable market, <laughs> which happened to have a little camera. We're shop. wandering around looking at the meat and the carrots and the <laughs> tomatoes, <laughs> and I said, "Oh, there's a camera shop over there. Let's go over there and look at the camera." We walked in, and I said, "Do you have the blah 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 model?" And they said, "Yes, we just got it yesterday." <laughs> So. so then they wanted to charge us a higher price, and Ken said, well, I can get it in Sydney for a lower price. And they said, well, okay. So right before we got on a tour of a vineyard, I got my, new, my new camera. Shortly after that, we went to Uluru, which was besieged with flies. When we went oh, to you're a, love these when we went to Alaska, people warned us about wearing headnets for mosquitoes. I think more than flies. But these flies in Central Australia were just incredibly annoying. They don't bite you; they just fly into the moist parts of your body, so I, primarily your eyes. eyes, ears, mouth. So there I am with my brand new camera, trying to figure out how the hell to use it. Wearing a head net with flies buzzing up my nose and my new camera in its initial stages took cameras uh, took pictures with gay abandon whether i was pressing the shutter or not which was very frustrating so don't ask me anytime soon whether i like this camera because i still haven't had time to learn how to use it but i have high hope and it's a very nice camera it's slightly bigger than your other one but fine yeah and if anybody would like a nice sony 
Yeah, there's Super nothing wrong with my old one. We'll be glad to sell it for to you for cheap, along with an old Apple Watch. Well, we should mention about the price. The price was very comparable to the United States uh, from B&H, which I checked, but... If you spend more than $300 in one place, this is true in other foreign countries as well. And when you leave the country, generally at the airport, we left this time from a cruise port, there's a customs person who takes the form from you and refunds the tax. And so, this is very cool. So we got $160 Yeah, back? we got Yeah, we got a bunch of money back, but they charge it back to your, to your credit, credit card. card. They used to send you a check or, you know, what you get months later. And this, they instantly charge back to your credit card, which is really by far the best way to get it. And it's actual, you actually get credit for it. It's not just so giving I, you Aussie dollars. It's not really going to do us so much good. So I think good. this is true even like in Canada. If yeah. you buy one big in thing. Canada. As I did. Well, they have their tax, too. You know, it's not cumulative. You can't add up the little tchotchkes that you buy along the way. Uh But if you buy a big piece of jewelry or a piece of technology, keep that in mind because why pay the tax if you don't have to? That's right. And we went to the Apple Store to test that out. And Ken now has a new Apple Watch. Not a version 1, but a version 3. And an old one to sell. So if anybody's interested in a camera and an Apple Watch, let us know. We have a couple of uh, pieces of technology that need new homes. Nothing wrong with either one of them. Okay, so we are well into the podcast here, and we haven't talked anything about Are we talking about, about RV? RV? <laughs> what, what's the name of this podcast? <laughs> Sorry. We have on the agenda, digital trends. One of the things that we see in the RV market, it seems like, a luxury small trailers. You notice that? I have several articles here about these small trailers, the teardrops teardrops that are considered to be luxury. Some of them even have slide-outs, and one here has multiple opening points. So it can open partway so it's tall enough to stand in. And then it can pop out a whole nother room with a foot on it so that your trailer doesn't tip over, which is very cool, as long as it works. So we have a bunch of articles here about uh, these new small trailers uh, that are considered to be quite luxury. How about a nice new light for the LED light for lighting up the outside of your RV? That's the one that uh, goes on the side and illuminates the area around the RV. And this one has a screen on it. Is that what this is that helps to focus the light? Right. Oh, we wanted to talk about the Elks Lodges, too. Yes. We are well aware of the fact that many Elks Lodges have camping facilities. Um, Hundreds. Boondocking, uh, low-priced, slightly higher-priced. But we are not Elks, and we never really thought about it too much. At one time, you were a, what were you? Not a moose. And you had to be recommended. I'm a most. <laughs> you had to be recommended to become a member. So we thought there was a process. To become an elk. But it turns out all you need is money. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really all that they care. Well, we don't want to malign the, the elks. But uh, being able to have the capability to camp at one of the elks lodges would be a definite benefit if you're interested in inexpensive camping. And we have many times seen elks lodges that we would love to have stayed at, but we didn't, we're didn't. we not members. And I, I, we always thought there was a complex pre- procedure for becoming a member. And apparently the video that I'm going to refer you to that I watched, but I haven't had a chance to act on yet 
is about this guy who tells you how to become an Elks member. And you can become an Elks member by online membership application, apparently, and then you're accepted and you pay between $50 and $200 a year to the local chapter of your Elk, uh, Elks, and you then can get the membership and and use their, their campgrounds. They have over 1,000 facilities throughout the country, it says. Which is way cool. And we've seen them, and, and they're in, usually in pretty good places. Now, they're not like destination where you're going to stay a couple of months, and many of them don't have full hookups, but uh, you know, for the overnight, short-stay type of situation, that seems like a very reasonable fee to pay. And sometimes they serve food, too. Well, and if you want to become more active in the elk I community. I think they're a civic organization. Yeah, yeah. but it, it is not inappropriate to join just to use the RPV parks, according to this guy. We didn't know that. We didn't know that. Now we do. So, if so once look- we do it, we will report to you how this really works. In detail. But so far, it's just something <laughs> in we... In plenty of detail. It's just something we've read about. Yes, but we're going to put the link in there, and if you want to take a look at it for yourself, if you're looking for boondocks, ideas, then this might be the place to do it. Where do old RVs go to die? There is a park, a Arizona salvage yard for RVs. Well, and this is kind of interesting because a lot of people look for old parts. It's for very parts frustrating. For their old RV. Very frustrating. Even if your RV isn't and, all that old. And I remember when you took off the mirror of our last motorhome <laughs> and they told us there were only six of them left in the United States. I wanted to buy two of them just in case. That's very annoying. Exactly. So where do you go to get parts that you wouldn't ordinarily find? And you could, you know, salvage yards for cars are very common. You go in and for, you know, get parts for almost any car, older car. And we've occasionally seen some yard. old stuff in Elkhart, like they overstock have, stuff. Yeah, over, that's overstocks, right, yeah. but not salvage stuff. So this RV, Arizona RV salvage in Phoenix, in Phoenix is a massive RV junkyard. So it looks like they take all the usable parts off and then they smash up what's left because nobody could use it. But you can go in and take out pieces and parts. And Sounds like they have a big organized inventory. Yes, which um, is good. I yeah, mean, that, that's a great a, idea. That's a really a great uh, idea. definitely beneficial. Another RV topic, we know that there are national parks that are loved to death. Yes. We have been to some of them fairly recently. But I just heard today that they're not increasing the prices at <gasps> national parks. Oh, that was, really? That was People re- were not very happy about that, were they? $70 would yeah, be a lot. Yeah, yeah. So we know that because we're lucky enough to go in the off-season that we can get in or near um, a national park and camp there. But it often involves planning ahead, which we don't like to do. And so we found a nice article that gives you some information about other parks that are very close, close. to those very popular parks that provide equally fun and nice experiences. They're just a less high-profile name. So I thought that was a good alternative for people like and me I think who don't of, want to book ahead. And I think of Denali and the state park that's there. I forget the name of it, but the it was a much better, yeah. much better experience yeah. than going to yeah. Denali. Was going to the the state park that uh, was much less crowded, had much better views, and was just an all around better experience than going to Denali. And of course, that's kind of almost a sacrilege to say that you go to Alaska and don't go to Denali, but. We wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) We went to Denali. Our friends went to the state park, and they had a much better experience than we did. 
The, the dilemma, to be fair, is that they are trying very hard up there to protect the animal life from us, and that's a worthwhile cause. But what ends up happening is that you don't see much animal life because you're bumping around in a school bus with dusty windows yes. with your knees jammed against the seat in front of you, <laughs> and it's just not very fun. It, for a photographer, it was a very frustrating experience. Oh, yeah. Um, so that that's our objection to Denali, to be clear. And it should be protected. And we're very much in favor yes, of that. But yes. in terms of viewing it and, and visiting it, it's, it's always a conundrum. Right. So should you buy a new RV? No. Oh, <laughs> instantaneous response. Uh, this is an article that we have uh, providing a link to from a guy who says never buy new. And I think we would tend to agree with that. Of course, that there's an obvious flaw in that. What? <laughs> if nobody buys new, then, then there's there won't no be use. Any? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good but, point. But there are going to be people who buy new. Well, but, people like me like to buy new because you think that when it's new, right. it's going to be practically perfect. And we have learned that that's not the case. And, and even the manufacturer's warranty doesn't make sure that it's perfect. And people like me like to get exactly what they want. Yes. And so when you're buying used, it might take a little more time to find something close to like exactly what you want. we would never have bought want. all electric. <laughs> now we're so glad we did. <laughs> And then, too, the other question you have, as you do with a used car, is what did the previous owner do to take care of it? That's right. a concern. I think RV has many, there are many facets to the RV, to the used RV market, and that you might want to consider. Number one is, is that people get rid of their RV for reasons other than dissatisfaction with it. Um, many times people have a medical issue or a lifestyle change, and they have to get rid of their RV. And that's something we can cash in on, frankly. And I think we did. The guy who owned ours was 76. That's not that old anymore, oh. is it? So we're going to have a nice RV for sale in about Anytime four or five. Anytime, ah, She's putting me in the grave already, ladies Ken's and gentlemen. Ken's birthday is almost, oh, almost the first of first of May, so I was teasing him that he was going to get two years older this year. But oh. it's only going to be one year old. Oh, boy. Anyway, uh, he was 76 and couldn't drive it anymore. And so we got, a, we got a great RV for 60% of the original price, and it was only two and a half years old. And we have been very happy with it since and mm -hmm. had almost no problems with it. So if you look at its background, you know, if you buy from the original owner, blah, 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 there are several things you can do that will make sure that you get a good deal, even on a used one. Not that you can't get a good deal on a new one, but... Of course, the new ones are selling like hotcakes. So I just read that the unemployment rate in Elkhart, Indiana, home of our, all RV factories, was 2%. And, and that they were offering bonuses and they couldn't get enough people. And they were they were actually, I don't want to say recruiting kids in elementary school, but they were, they were, they were talking to the kids in elementary school, telling them what great jobs these were so that they would come and work when and they, they were trying the right to build age. a McDonald's there and they couldn't do it because they didn't no, no, they, get any employees no the McDonald's was built and open they, oh, couldn't, they couldn't they couldn't employees. they couldn't keep it open on some days because they couldn't find enough staff and to think that not too long ago they had an unemployment and, over 20% right they, yes so that's a huge drop good on you Elkhart oh good on you what does that mean good for you oh in Australia oh we haven't <laughs> talked about the Australian words <laughs> 
What the, I'm going to put the Australian dictionary or the the slang words up on the on the website. Oh, which there are many. Like what? Well, we we go to the shows here on the boat, and we listen especially to comedians who all are from Australia, because that's where all the talent has come from since we've left Sydney, and we generally understand about two thirds of what they are talking about. They speak very rapidly, and they truncate you, or shorten words. So we have a lot of brekkie. A lot of. I E's and O's on and a it. Sandy, uh, Sammy, Sammy instead of a sandwich, Sammy. So everything is is truncated. What else? I can't remember. You have to look up the list. Our listeners will have to go to the webpage to look at the list. Yeah, there are lots of interesting words that uh, we have learned. All right, and forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've left, we have forgotten them. <laughs> it's on a need to know basis. If you're looking to find uh, TV signals with your antenna, over-the-air t- signals, uh, WineGuard has a new TV signal finder app. Although I've been pretty happy with the one that I recommended before, whose name I can't remember, <laughs> TV channels or something like that. <laughs> <sighs> well, it's bad when we're here in the middle of the ocean and I can't check this stuff out. Well, we don't remember the Australian slang, even though we were just there. And we're still with Australian people. So what's, what's more of the slang? I think all the free wine has not done good for wait, my wait, brain. Wait, wait, so. wait. Never mind. No slang. So uh, I guess that's about it for this month. Well... Hopefully we made some sense. <laughs> and hopefully there's no buzz. Weren't buzzing. And so now you can make comments freely about the quality of the podcast, and we will take them to heart. We try to make it as good as possible, but what do you want for free? And the next podcast will find us at home again, we think, with all of our technology and resources in hand. You bet. So we can do a bang-up job next month. <laughs> yes, but... Live from the cruise cabin on the Explorer of the Seas, literally in the mid-ocean on its way to Hawaii and Fiji, we are broadcasting to you and saying goodbye. Bon voyage. Bon voyage. Wait, wait. That's Aussie. What? Bon voyage is French. What's what's Aussie? I have no idea. Good day. No, that's when you come. What's that? What's I don't know. Okay, good on you. <laughs> you didn't prepare me for this. So now you're going to hear a song done by our listener, Chris. Who we met for lunch in Newcastle. So listen away. See you next month. Bon voyage. <laughs> Again. <laughs> is happening we're all busy making plans oh we can live it all we can fake
It's up to us. It's in our hands. Hold a dream as you head towards your future. It might fade, but never let it slide. Start today. There's no time like the present. Do it now. Our time is on your side. Brighter golden sunrise. Once we get through the darkness of this night, I'll wrap your dream like a cloak around you as you head towards the light. Lend a hand to others by the wayside. Help them through the dark before the dawn. No uncertainty's chill. We'll always try to freeze you, but you're. Dream will keep you warm. Time for leaving. Time. 